What a conference where we go from Haley Bieber to venture capital. I know. I want to sit like she was sitting. That was good. Well, it's, it's an honor to be with the Haley Bieber of venture capital now. <laughs> um, for everyone who doesn't know, I'm Alex Conrad. I'm a senior editor at Forbes and the editor of the Midas list of top VCs. We have a top VC right here in Sarah Tavel from Benchmark. Um, Sarah, do you want to tell everyone who probably, if they're here, knows what Benchmark is, what Benchmark is? <laughs> we're, uh, we're an early stage venture fund in the Bay Area, focused mostly on being the first board member that a company takes on that's normally the Series A. I mean, I could talk about some of the no companies, but... We'll get there. So for any VCs in the audience or founders, you know, I, I feel like seeing a benchmark partner on a conference stage is like watching Discovery Channel and seeing <laughs> the lion, you know, eating an animal, and it's like they're both fascinated but horrified at the same time. Um, you know, one thing that I, I know about benchmark is that you're all you're always pretty deliberate. So um, for you guys, have you been as active in the market in recent months as? You have been historically because what I've been hearing on the floor at this conference is that a lot of VC firms are like, we're not really doing deals. I had one VC come up to me and brag, I haven't done a deal in over a year. So that's not really the benchmark way, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, we actually looked at this, you know, it's, I'm making it sound like there's like an analytics team at Benchmark, but really one of the partners just pulled it up and we just saw that every year we're very, very consistent. You can see going back you know, several funds. It's one to two investments per partner per year, and there's five partners. You know, we range from four to six, but that gives you a pretty good sense. And so then, you know, last year, years before, during this kind of exuberance in the market, we were still that consistency. And so far this year, believe it'll be just as the same, if not a little bit more of a pace. When there are only five or, or six of you, how would you say the venture game looks the most different from, you know, some of these firms that these days look more like a corporation with, you know, whole research teams or, you know, Bain on, on speed dial, et cetera? I mean, gosh, where do I start? It's, it's you know, people, I, I have the experience all the time when I talk to a founder and I say benchmarks just five people. And the contrast, like what has happened is that we have stayed really this small equal partnership while and like you know this group of people while all the other firms have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and just pursuing a different objective function which is you know definitely a model of success that's different than ours but a model of success in its own right but it has made our product i guess you could say more and more different you know we don't have a platform team like every other, you know, founders are used to every VC coming in and talking about all the other services that they have at the disposal, of, you know, for that founder. But our perspective is that that actually really is about giving leverage to the GP itself. It's not about giving leverage to the founder. And we choose to do something that basically doesn't scale. Like our, you know, in a, mantra, a mantra in a way is for us is like venture just doesn't scale. And we just have the one or two commitments we do per year, and then we try to work a lot with that founder to you know, hopefully unle unleash as much of their ambition as possible and help them build the best company possible. But that's a model that just doesn't have any leverage. And I would say that's like the Achilles heel in a way, is like we just have to be more selective. 
and we don't have a lot of people that are chasing all the seed funds or you know, somebody changes their LinkedIn and they get an email from a VC analyst. We don't have any of that. And For the so record, I think that was fake. <laughs> it could be. If anyone knows the viral tweet of, of an AI founder, no, it, but fake it's, you know, Those types of programs have been around for a while. Whether it was fake or not, it is definitely a, you know, a system, a machine that other firms have built where we have just chosen, and, and it's an active choice we make every year to stay the way we are. Now, that... It's great to say that when you know things are going well, and, and maybe uniquely at Benchmark for a small partnership, you can always say that. But there have to be times where you all doubt that strategy or see firms hiring people to do TikToks or yeah. throwing on big, beautiful conferences and kind of wonder about the downsides, right? And so, so how, you know, how do those conversations go? And, and, and have you been close to straying from that? And, and if so, you know, why didn't you? I mean, it's it's. There are certainly times, and I, I won't I won't say no. Like there were times during the last few years where you just saw these other funds getting bigger and bigger. You saw the you know I would feel like I'd meet with you know X number of companies a week, and a handful of them would be funded by you know one of the bigger firms out there. Like it was it was incredible the contrast of our models. And during those times, you can't help but at least be paranoid. What are we, are we, are we kind of being too used to the way we're doing things? And how do we make sure that we're, you know, founding Benchmark every year and being very intentional about those decisions? But it was, you know, there were moments when it was tempting and still, you know, I think there's a lot of value in the equal partnership and, you know, all the people around the table during those times of temptations to remember what it is the work that we like to do, which is the partnering with the founders at this early stage, and then just saying, you know, we tell our founders to focus, we have to focus too. Now, I remember, it feels like a million years ago, but I, I remember the early months of pandemic lockdown. Um, all the VCs were on Clubhouse, and, you know, reporters like me were chasing stories about you know, hot new rounds for the next big photo sharing app or the next big social app. And I feel like Benchmark was in a lot of those conversations, yeah. either looking at those deals or maybe even actually leading a couple of them. Do you, looking back on, you know, 2020, do you feel like that was a, a straying at all from that Benchmark way? Or kind of how do you think about that, that moment where there were these mega hot deals into companies that, you know, in the case of Clubhouse and some yeah. have, have now kind of lost some of that relevance, at least today? I mean, we have to play the, the game on the field. And I think we even, we, you know, we think to ourselves a lot, like if we're not getting some investments wrong, we're not taking enough risk. And so if you'll, I look at the investments that we did make in the last few years, like are there some that we regret? Sure. But like, you know, some of the hot social companies that, you know, you and I talked about before would make those again. Because you just, you know, as Bill always says, you can lose one times your money, mm. but the opportunity cost of saying yes and getting it wrong can be really, really high. I totally hear that. I guess I'm thinking, you know, um, the game of venture seems to have changed a bit in the last couple of years. Um, you know, when we had this, it's become a meme now on Twitter. There's, you know, that feels like a zero interest rate, you know, moment. Mm. Um, we, you know, we saw a velocity of deals that was just, you know, 
breathtaking and diligence going a little bit out the window necessarily prices very high was that is that a tougher environment for a benchmark to play in given you know given your structure of of the small equal partnership i think so i think so because it's we have we have a you might even say an unreasonably high bar for getting to yes and so when we're our bar is staying consistent and i hate to put it this way but if you're in the mindset of deploying capital inevitably what happens is that the bar does change mm-hmm. and so that created some some challenges i mean every company i would meet for a period of time was coming in with four or five whatever number of term sheets already and then you're having to make these decisions over you know over a zoom over a small number of of interactions and again our model we spend a lot of time with the founders with whom we work because we don't have a platform team we're doing the work i do you know 10 interviews closing calls recruiting calls every week you know on behalf of my companies and so when we say yes that level of commitment is is a super high level of commitment there's nobody else to whom we delegate any part of that job and so the bar has to stay where it is and during that time that became a little bit less comfortable does um has the mix of deals changed in in recent months where maybe you know the companies that excite you the most it's not as competitive yet or or are you still seeing a bunch of term sheets for kind of those type A companies that you really every, want every company we the, the the competitiveness hasn't changed the valuations have they changed yeah maybe a little bit but you know the biggest change that's happened is that you can actually get to know a founder you get to know the company you have you know multiple interactions ideally in person it's this amazing thing to do and that's the thing that has changed the most this year versus the last few years speaking of last year um i feel like last year this conference was a web3 conference mm. and this year it's an ai conference and i'm excited to see what next year is but um you spoke publicly uh, you know last year about web3 opportunities kind of leading a lot of that strategy for benchmark mm-hmm. um and you have made investments in mm-hmm. that area what would be your number one lesson learned from kind of that period and what is your kind of current thesis compared to sort of the exuberance and excitement of the last couple of years for web3 specifically mm-hmm. i mean look i i was pretty public in my views on web3 which was that we actually had a pretty strong reaction against a lot of the culture of web3 we were you know we were investors in bitcoin a long time ago zappo pantera bitstamp one of the early regulated exchanges my first investment at benchmark is a company called chainalysis in the crypto vertical saas space um and you're still involved with them still involved still yeah. on the board there and then we made two other what you would call web3 investments uh so rare and part of the reason we love so rare it's a kind of fantasy sports with you actually have an nft that you can play for each player into the fantasy sports game and then i invested in a in a in a game that's not yet announced so despite being pretty actively looking into the space really only made three comp- three investments during this time of of incredible exuberance and that felt for a time also really uncomfortable but it just felt like the types of companies that were 
you know, I sh there, it's hard to talk about all of them together, but there was, there was a lot of energy around speculation, and there was a lot of euphoria around how quickly you would launch a token and then those numbers would go up. And it just, it didn't feel enduring to us. And again, with the level of commitment we have, like we really need to feel that these companies are focused on building an enduring company as opposed to something that felt too often a little bit more short-term. So we're, I don't think I would change anything over the last you know, few years there. I, or maybe I would say, I wish that the, mar that the crypto market wasn't so consumed by speculation, because I still believe very much that like, some of the core primitives, I, you know, the NFT as a core consumer primitive, should be a new palette for consumer builders to build new experiences. Like, I'm still hoping that there will be those companies. I'm still meeting Web3 founders, and I'm like, blown away by the level of talent that's still coming into the space. But certainly, the burden of proof is on Web3, is on crypto builders to, to unlock these use cases. And that's what I'm looking for right now. Somewhere a founder just re-updated their Twitter bio back Web to Web3 3 from AI. Yeah. yeah. So, so given, given those lessons and given kind of the, the slower, more deliberate pace the benchmark takes, how are you guys thinking about this crazy AI you know, hype and excitement? I was speaking this morning with Scott Belsky about kind of how Adobe yeah. and these big companies are finding real uses, but then on the startup you know, side, it does feel like we're in this kind of primordial moment where things could go in a lot of diff different directions and what startups would be the winners you know, is kind of hard to predict. So, so what would be the benchmark high-level thesis? I mean, very similar to how we, you know, we always approach things with an incredibly high level of curiosity. I think that's one of the defining parts of our partnership. And so we are, with a high level of curiosity, spending an incredible amount of time learning in the space. But, you know, we haven't, just actually kind of like with crypto, we weren't, just there right when whatever you know starts like some big moment we were there very very early and just more intentional similarly in, in AI like we were investors in Cerebrus and in, in I think it was 2016 DeepL in 2018 um, my partner Chathan led an investment in a company called MindsDB maybe I don't remember six months ago nine months ago uh, we recently did a, made an investment in Langchain. Uh, the founders of PyTorch, the early kind of team from PyTorch, started a new company, uh, investors there. And so we are being very active in the space, intentional. And, and I think the thing that we feel is that there may be a lot of overthinking that ends up happening in terms of where does value accrue, but there's no question that this is a, a very disruptive moment. Adam D'Angelo had this incredible tweet storm. I highly recommend all of you follow him on Twitter. He's been pretty fired up who, about... For anyone who doesn't know, CEO of Quora yeah, and on the board of the OpenAI nonprofit yes, yeah. as well. Yeah. And he talked about how you know, AI, people think of it as a new platform shift, and that's underestimating the impact. That it, you know, in his words, is more like the industrial revolution. And he talks about that. And I think that maps very much to the belief and optimism that we have right now for the impact that we're at the very, very, very early stages of starting to manifest. 
Has your inbox gotten flooded with AI-themed pitches, however, that you have to kind of sift through now in a different way? You make it sound like a chore. That's like (laughs) the biggest gift you can give an investor is to have a founder send you an email with their company. I'm sure the founders will be really glad to hear that. No, always, always. Um, Speaking of founders, we probably have some in the audience. Um, What is the vibe when you're talking to your existing portfolio? Are people stressed? Are they still kind of processing layoffs and kind of, you know, getting through what is, what is kind of a scary moment? Are they trying to move past that? What, what would be kind of the, the tone of your typical, you know, founder heart to heart at this point? It's, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's not, you know, even the, the hard thing is that even the companies that are great have real challenges to figure out. I mean, so many companies, particularly the ones that had very early momentum, have raised money, particularly in 2021, at very high valuations. They raised a lot of capital, so they're not staring down the barrel of you know, the end of the runway, but in a way that kind of inoculates them or protects them from having to make adjustments to their burn. Or, and they're starting to ask those questions of, well, what do we do? How do we, it's not about how long my runway is, it's how long does it take me to grow into my valuation? And what's the length of that time? And then how do we be stewards of the capital that we have right now to make sure that we invest our balance sheet in the way that's going to drive the biggest return to investors, I mean, to the, to the shareholders? And then you also have the challenge for the companies that did raise money, had to hive a burn. And it's almost universal that if you were a founder, if you were a startup over the last few years, your burn was too high. You, uh, you, you put it to me eloquently um, before this, uh, what, eating at the <laughs> Vegas buffet, something like that? You know, it's, it's the way I think about it is like when you're, when you're, you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in, in focus. You know, I don't know if you saw the Johnny Ive quote where like focus is when you wake up at 3 a.m. thinking about an idea that you're so excited about and you still say no to it because you have to focus on the thing that you are focused on. And I kind of feel like, you know, in startups, my, my analogy is, you know, you, you have to make something. And the, the thing I think, like, you're making, you're, you're making a chocolate croissant, and you become, like, incredible at this chocolate croissant, or the cronut, actually. Cronut. Like, something new, you know? You get the cronut, then you have to figure out how to do the distribution, but you're focused on this cronut. And then, like, over the last few years, this is a terrible analogy, but it became this thing of, like, well, grow, grow, grow. And so then you start having companies be like, we should do cronuts, and, we sh- and it's like, we should do this, and we should do that, and Sorry, we should do this. you've been in San Francisco for too long. We've moved on to vertical croissants oh, vertical croissant. Perfect. Yeah. Um, thank you, you for making me current. <laughs> um, and so you have this situation where then it's almost like you're a buffet in Vegas, and you've said yes to so much, and now... You know, the, the market has gone from like this mania to this like depressive feeling of having to bring the burn down, having to recalibrate the way you spend money. And it's so hard once you've already gotten used to saying yes to so many more things to, to let go of some stuff and well, get and, more and, focused. You know, obviously Benchmark famously has, has preached caution. You know, Bill Gurley has been accused of being a bit of a... a 
you know, negative uh, or, or kind of, oh, you know, yeah. cry the sky is falling in the past, you know, historically. And, and I doubt these founders were hearing from Benchmark, go spend money. But undoubtedly, venture capital as an industry was putting that buffet yeah. in front of these founders, mm-hmm. right? And so what do you say to a founder who feels whiplash here? Like, we spent money because you guys told us to, and now you're telling us that's bad and we need to you know, cut jobs, cut all this cost yeah. for, for us to raise money ever again. You know, one of my founders said this, and I loved it. He's like, you know, over the last few years, we were building what people said was a great company. And that at the time, it's a little bit like playing the game on the field. At the time, that was a growth at all costs type mantra. And now, you know, this is what he said, we want to be what a great company is now. And that means some hard decisions, but like that's where we have to get to. And I think that is inevitably the way you have to, you know, you, you kind of have to play when you have, especially in these competitive markets where everybody else is doing a land grab or, you know, spending a lot of money to grow, you can't, it takes an incredible amount of discipline, but also it may actually not be the wise decision not to play the same game. And it depends a lot on your competitive situation. People may not know this, but I, I recently found out that Sarah qualified for the Junior Olympics in swimming. So when she says, play the game in front of you, she, she probably knows what she's talking about. And we were both rugby players, if you can't tell by, you know. <laughs> a long time ago, we were both uh, getting hurt playing rugby. Yes, exactly. Um, as a final kind of word for, for founders in the audience, we've talked about kind of the, the, the tough part of this moment. What would you say is kind of your, your more uplifting piece of advice that you give founders right now? Or wh- how do you kind of make them smile at the end of your call? Oh, it, it, yeah, there's so many things. Like one is, I think founders always forget how far they've actually come. You know, it's, you're, as a founder, you're always in this, they call it the tragic gap, where like all you can do is see how far you want to go and you lose sight of what you've actually already accomplished. And so sometimes it's, you know, holding a mirror up and just helping them see that. And then, you know, for me, there's just so much creativity in the market right now that AI has unlocked. And just jamming on that a little bit can be a lot of fun. Well, thank you for your wisdom, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone.